0: Everybody, Scott Bowden and Brian Lass, right along ringside and ready to go with another big day of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And on this week's KFR, we are going to continue to bask in the holiday spirit by unmasking one of the ghosts of Memphis Wrestling's past, the Christmas Creature. Now, this mysterious, mass, six-foot, six-inch, 300-pounder hailing from... The North Memphis Pole worked under a blood-red and putrid green holiday hood, complete with a matching full Grinch-like bodysuit, adorned with menacing candy cane stripes, and all the shimmering gold trimmings you can think of, debuting in front of about 550 folks on a Friday night spot show in Osceola, Arkansas, nearly 25 years ago today in December 1992. His foe was none other than the king of kings himself, Jerry Lawler. Brian, tell the fine folks out there, what else we've got stuffed inside our proverbial stockings for this week's holiday show?
1: Well, Scott, as you mentioned, we are going to honor the 25th anniversary of the Christmas Creature gimmick, which turned out to be the very first in a long line of, shall we say, intriguing gimmicks for the WWE's Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Isaac Yankum, a.k.a. Fake Diesel. And finally, A.K.A. Kane, who continues to enjoy one of the longest runs of the modern era working for Vince McMahon over the last several years, including multiple reigns as a WWE World Heavyweight Champion and a few reigns as a World Tag Team Champion. We're also going to unwrap the mind behind the Christmas Creature gimmick. Kevin Lawler, son of the king, and makes him a prince, will be joining us from Memphis today. Kevin will be interviewed by the referee who officiated that fateful debut of the Yuletide Terror in Arkansas so many years ago, a certain skinny little punk from Germantown, a guy we all love to hate, you, Scott Bowden.
0: Ooh, hate that guy.
1: Oh, you're not all bad, Scott. But we are going to look at how this return to officiating back in late 1992 led to your eventual run as a heel manager, and yes... We're going to listen to some promos of yours that most definitely did not endear you to Santa or Dave Brown, for that matter, including the one in which you repeatedly question the mental capacity of Randy Hales.
0: Oh, man, really? Come on. That's that's
1: just retarded. Don't say that word. Don't
0: say that word. (laughs) Jeez. So touchy. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back after this important message from the king of discount furniture and known fighter of inflation himself, Jerry Lawler.
2: And I need your help. I bought this furniture store, and my warehouse is way overstocked with first quality name brand furniture that I gotta sell immediately to raise cash fast. So, you help me, and I'll help you to the furniture buy of a lifetime. Like these big man recliners from just $97, all wood dinettes only $129. This five piece living room group is only $4.99. So, come on down, help me whip up on high prices with the best deals in town and free financing for a year. That's Lawler's Discount Furniture, $1,500 North Garvin here in Evansville. Hurry and save!
0: And we are back on Kentucky Fried Wrestling, and as I mentioned earlier, we are going to unmask one of the ghosts of Memphis Wrestling's past, the Christmas Creature, who debuted under a festive green and red hood in Osceola, Arkansas, a wrestling, uh, just a wrestling mecca. Uh, back in 1992 uh, it was December it was a few weeks before Christmas and he was taking on none other than the king Jerry Lawler a uh, perennial fixture on Santa's naughty list for about 25 years um, and you have to look at this guy now he's got candy can candy cane striped arms he's got like this menacing gold trim surrounding his entire wrestling outfit uh, it's sort of Sort of like what I imagine a Christmas tree might look like if I were on acid. Um, so you would have to think that this guy comes from the inner workings of a very twisted mind. And you would be correct. And we have that <laughs> twisted mind on the
3: phone right
0: now. I'm talking about the son of the king, Kevin Lawler. Kevin,
3: welcome to KFR. <laughs> well, glad, uh, glad, glad to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: That's, that may be the best introduction you've ever received.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: well, Kevin. Now, when I first met you, I uh, let's see I was a freshman in, at the University of Memphis. Uh, well, back then, I guess it was still Memphis State, and you, you're, you were a junior at Craigmont High School in Memphis, correct? Yes. Okay, and you know, and when I met you, man, you had a stack of drawings that I would have, I, I would think, would have had Vince McMahon just salivating with all these elaborate. Uh, gimmicks, and they were all drawn out. I mean, you, you definitely inherited your dad's artistic ability, and I mean, some really creative characters. Uh, now, was this one that you had had a, you had kind of had stacked back in in that mind of yours, uh, or was the Christmas creature a totally new invention that you were directed to come up with since we were entering the holiday season in December of nineteen
3: ninety two? Well, what actually happened with it? It was it wasn't um, part of any of like my you know previous ideas or drawings, you know, um, you know, back then, you know, with stuff that you were talking about, basically what had happened is I had, um, you know, graduated high school in 1992. And, you know, just as soon as I got out, you know, I was wanting to do something, you know, in the wrestling business, um, you know, but wasn't big enough to, you know, actually wrestle at the time or anything like that. And, uh, I think I had already started, uh, had already been refereeing at the time, and, uh, but it finally got into a position where I had convinced my dad Jerry Jarrett to let me, um, you know, promote some wrestling towns and things like that. So, um, like the first town that I had ever promoted was like Corollasville, Missouri. And that was like in, I think like November of 92. And then, you know, I was ready to do like, like another event in December, but what had happened, it was just, it was just one of these uh, situations where, Man, you know, in the in the in the Memphis territory at the time, the USWA, we just didn't have any heels, you know, of any kind of marquee value, you know, that that you could have ran a town and put in the main event. It was just there was nobody to say, hey, you know, Drew Oliver this guy or, or whatever. I mean, our 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 our, our you know, it was just slim pickings. And what had happened is Glenn Jacobs, who you know portrayed the Christmas kitchen, and went on to become Kane had actually passed through Memphis, you know, like a month or so before and was and was doing a gimmick where he was teaming up with a guy, and they were called the Russian Unified Tag Team. They were supposed to just be like two big, giant Russian guys, and it was just a really short-lived run where, like I said, I mean, he was only there for a few weeks, but in that short, you know, time, I kind of got to know him and get his contact information and, and everything. So, um, like I said, it was a situation where um, I thought about him When I thought about the idea, but what had happened is, you know, I wanted to run an event. I wanted to do a Christmas themed event, but just didn't have any heels at, at the time. So I just, you know, created this character and said, well, what if I just create like, you know, in typical Memphis fashion of guys like Dr. Frank and Freddie and Jason Leatherface and so forth? What if I just create some kind of a, some kind of a character? (laughs) <laughs> and uh so i basically just kind of kind of sketched it up and just drew a thing and went to my dad and told him the idea about me wanting to run the town and this that, and the other and the same thing he was asking me, like well me i mean like who who are we going to use you know we don't have anybody and i told him the idea and showed him the showed him the picture you know and and you know with him being always such a big fan of like the crazy characters and things like that i think you know he he kind of just you know took a liking to it probably even was just you know curious if i was even gonna even be able to pull it off and he even asked me he said well yeah it looks good but like who's who's gonna do it like who would be it and i said man you know remember that big guy glenn that was in here and he's like yeah i said uh i said you know he he could do it so basically it was all just from that point on just left up to me to like okay hey if um you know if you can get him if you can make it happen then then fine Now, Um, now,
0: now, at this point, did you did you reach out to Jacobs? Because, you know, you remember him being a part of that uh, the Russian contingent that that was briefly in the area. Uh, I had not seen the guy before until I got to the arena that night. You had told me a little bit about the gimmick and you had showed me the picture. And then when I saw the guy backstage, I mean, good Lord, the guy, the guy was so huge. And I was just like, man, it looked like it could be Sid's brother.
3: Right. Uh, Yeah. And he he looked a lot like, just kind of like a young Sid back then, you know, really, just you know really big, really massive. And yeah, I mean, I had just reached out to him. I mean, he really was just kind of back home up in Missouri, wasn't doing anything at the time and just told him the idea and, and, you know, what I wanted to do. And he said, yeah, he come and do it. It really was just designed to be a one, just a one time, one shot, you know, show. But, you know, this was like pre-internet, pre- everything you know just didn't really have any kind of way to you know communicate other than just old school calling somebody on their home phone you know mailing stuff uh luckily his mother uh, was able to sew so i basically just drew the drew the picture mailed it to him his mother um you know measured him you know basically made just the original body like the mask you know the green part the candy cane arms and legs that kind of stuff and then mailed mailed it back to me you know, the whole outfit to me. And then I had like a lady here in Memphis who would kind of do outfits and stuff for the guys. I had her put all the Christmas lights on it and the tinsel and <laughs> that kind of stuff, just to kind of bring it to life even more. And wait a then, minute. The, wait a minute.
0: Wait a minute. Wait a
3: minute. I, I don't remember the lights being on there. Were there... <laughs> yeah. I remember it, it actually had, um, because that was the thing. And and man, you can't even find them anymore, but I had went to like Michael's, you know, like the craft store and they made this little these little sets of lights that were designed for t-shirts and stuff that um you know came with like a small little battery pack and like the little strands that run off and had the little different colored lights within them and and so those were just kind of i guess the battery pack would be just be kind of positioned maybe like kind of around where the like kind of his waist would be and then the lights would kind of go up and and and, and all that kind of stuff so yeah he had little lights um, cause that was actually one of my dad's, you know, famous lines that, you know, when I told him about the outfit, you know, this is just me and him sitting there you know, he, he said, he was going to knock his lights out and, um, you know, so he still uh, had to get well, that in even when it was I've, just us, I've, you know?
0: I've, I've, <laughs> of, co- of course he did. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> and, um, so yeah, so the, um, the outfit had, you know, actually had like, you know, uh, little colored lights on it stuff like that. And, um, and I even just took it to the extreme. So like when he came out, I even took like a whole whole strand of some actual christmas lights and wrapped them around him, hooked it to an extension cord so when we walked out he just was even had even more lights on him that i think you know his manager had to like unravel him when he got got there
0: okay um, so, so so the lights coming off as part of the pre-match ritual
3: yeah yeah that was like you know that was okay. kind of like um Gosh, Jack! I can't even you know maybe like like move to un you know on <laughs> this stuff and it's like spitting out the mist and stuff um wait, you're <laughs> you're quite you're, you're comparing the the Christmas creature to the great Muta. <laughs> uh only in like uh you know pre ritual garb that's that the only the only way um <laughs> <All right. laughs> you know all, although uh, you know um you know, I, I I never you remember I got I got grounded for wanting to go to the Coliseum to see Muda, you know wrestle, um you know, and I never never did for uh, having anything to do with Christmas creature. <laughs> oh oh, for, by your dad because you were supporting the competitor. Yeah yeah, because I was supporting the the the, the competition uh-huh. when they came to down came to town, you know um you know because uh, you know I went to the Coliseum to. Yeah, you know, uh, to see Muda, you know, that was the whole thing. I just kind of want to see Muda. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I remember
0: watching pay-per-views over at your house and you were like, to oh, if you ever see my dad, don't mention that we got the pay-per-view. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but anyway, because technically you're putting money into the enemy's pocket.
3: Right, right. Um, you know, but so anyway, um, you know, and also another little side note that OCL Arkansas, that's the that's the same town where they did that wrestling with death uh you know uh reality show starring Derek King and those guys remember uh remember that short-lived thing uh a couple of years ago no I don't remember that
0: <laughs> oh really? yeah no oh, I don't I, I know what you're talking about
3: yeah uh, um so anyway so that town's been killed you know over and over multiple times
0: yes <laughs> and this was the start right here yeah this, the, this, this
3: this 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 was the start of it yeah but um So it was a situation where, yeah, I mean, he, you know, I just basically had the, had the finished outfit, showed up, you know, to the town that night and gave it to him. And so he basically was like putting it on and doing everything for the very, for first time, you know, that night seeing it, never had really done much of anything, but really just kind of getting walks through it, you know, matched with my dad, which, uh, and you know how those go. I mean, real, real easy for even somebody, you know with a lot of you know with not much experience you know could could easily kind of get walked through one of those yeah. um
0: yeah i mean your your dad really i mean it was at that point when uh he was a- absolutely fully capable of carrying uh you know a big inexperienced guy like this through a pretty decent match you know and just slowing down the pace and and not rushing anything and uh and jacobs i mean i you know i don't remember a lot of it but i remember the, i remember the guy being like like are you know okay and like you know really I the funniest part I can remember is is going back because I think it was one of those deals where the dressing rooms were separated, and so yeah. I would have to go in each dressing room and communicate the finish and you know and I'm sure he's really nervous and I, and I, first of all I can only imagine too the expression on his face when his mother you know makes this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's somebody I, I'm reminded of like a kid getting his mother to make him something for the Christmas play and he looks at it like,
3: oh Mom, I, do I have to wear this? Come on. Yeah, kind of like, kind of like, you know, the kid on the Christmas story when Ralphie gets the pink bunny, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly.
3: So I can see him kind of drooping his head. All right. All right. But uh, But here's the only bad thing about it. Like when his mom made the outfit, I guess she really just kind of measured him, but she didn't take into consideration him actually having to move in the thing (laughs) and like lift his arms up and down. So, you know, he couldn't really, like when he would go to try to like press slam somebody, his his arms wouldn't, couldn't go all the way up. And he would have a lot of restrictions in the outfit. (laughs)
0: Yeah, there were there were going to be no moon from the from the Christmas creature or anything like that. Right. Uh, a la uh, a la the great Muda. Uh, exactly. Yeah, everybody. You know, so I remember going up there, and you know, he he had the mask off, and he's got you know, and he he always had, he had that really boyish. Face, you know, uh, for such a big guy, and I'm like kind of going. And I'm using your dad's, you know, usual kind of sound effects that you do you're, when your dad would ever, was ever laying out a finish. You know, it'd be like, uh, okay, so you power, you overpower Lawler for about ten minutes, and then the king makes his comeback. Boom, boom, boom. You know, you're punching yeah. in, you're putting the boots to him. He'll make his comeback. Boom, boom, boom. He grabs a headlock. You shoot him into me. Boom. I take a big bump, and here comes fucking Bert Prentice into the ring. Bert grabs Bert. Lawler. Grabs him by the arms, boom, boom, boom. You get a few licks in, you run off the ropes, and you give him a big fucking punch. Lawler moves out of the way, boom, you hit Bert. Lawler roves you up for the schoolboy. I come to my senses. One, two, three. Okay, got it? And he looks at me like, you know, can you do that again? (laughs) (laughs) I said, all right, hang on. (laughs) <laughs> and then you know, I go through the whole thing, doing all the boom, boom, booms. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but and that's exactly pretty much how it, how it came out. And, uh, I remember it to be a, a pretty, I, man, and I used to have it on, on tape for the longest time. Uh, but that was a that that was an auspicious beginning for a guy who would go on to become uh, a wWF champion in the Attitude area, defeating Steve Austin uh, and then have a multiple run. gosh he, the guy's the guy's still going on to this day. he's had probably one of the best modern runs in in w w e history,
3: yeah, and you know the like one of the funny things about it, like I had mentioned, it was really designed to just be that one night, that one show just just so we would have something to do but the fact that the show was on a Friday night and then we had TV the next Saturday morning, you know, in Osceola, which is, which is only like maybe 30, 45 minutes, maybe from Memphis. Um, and I since I had Jeff Jarrett and some of those guys on the car too, you know, Jerry, Jerry, Eddie Marlon, they all had not made the trip, you know, just to go ahead and come in and, and stay over and, and get up and go do the TV. So just because of the, the rare occasion that Jerry Jarrett happened to be like you know, in town and at the show and he saw him and he was just, you know, so, you know, impressed with, you know, just I guess the character and the gimmick and everything that, you know, he told him, asked him to be at TV the next day. And then they got him like a few bookings. Like he, he was, he, you know, started working at least in Memphis, if not the rest of the loop, um, you know, for at least a few weeks based off of just Jerry seeing him that one night and, and taking a liking to it.
0: Now, are you are you sure it was the gimmick, or was it the size <laughs> of G- Glenn Jacobs that he was impressed with? Um,
3: I, I'm just rude I can't it. really I, remember that far back. Um,
0: it, it was it was no. probably a little it was probably a little <laughs> bit of both because I guess they I guess they did play it up. I guess he was he was out there with uh, with Burt Prentice, and we actually have a clip of him. Uh, Burt Prentice just. Submitting his status on the naughty list for for 1992 by uh, by attacking Santa and kicking kick him in the kicking him in the ass and I believe your dad comes out and makes the save in dramatic fashion. Uh, and yeah, it that believes- was
3: the same thing. I, think, I Yeah, I see. And I had that guy at the show. The you know the night before, as Santa. So the same thing. It, like you know, he got the booking too. You know, they said, hey, can what? you get TV? You know, so the Santa got booked, and uh, you know, it they, it just turned into a whole a whole domino effect. Really. But-
4: that
0: was that was pretty amazing that you were able to book Santa during his his busy season. Yeah. Um <laughs> Now, what was supposed to be the you know, when when you're thinking of a character like this, and you sit down to do the sketch, you know, I know that you put a lot of time and effort into, into these sketches and some of these characters. And uh, like I said, I could just totally see them appearing on WWF te- television back in the '80s and, and early '90s. Uh, now, what was supposed to be? Uh, I don't want to say, you know, what was his purpose? Uh, what was his objective? You know, did, was it supposed to be like a Christmas tree that that just Uh, was haunted was was it plucked from the that wizard of oz haunted forest decorated or what what was the deal what was supposed to be the uh the thinking behind the character the motivation
3: (laughs) well i always kind of described him as you know what if a what if a christmas tree came to life and 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 became a bad guy wrestler (laughs) that was always kind of like you know the you know, really, just the 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 origin of it. Like, okay, hey, you know, what what would you do? And I kind of made the face look a little bit like like the Grinch and you know, things like like that. But then, like later on, um, and I had uh, reached out to and like spoke to Mick Foley like a couple of years ago about possibly, you know, doing a Christmas book, you know, like a, a wrestling thing Christmas book that would involve the Christmas creature. And I, then I thought about, okay, well, if you was going to actually have to kind of tell a story and and explain something like this, how how would you do it? And you know, so I kind of came up with the idea of, let you know, similar type thing. What if there was this, uh, you know, a Christmas tree, and underneath the tree was like like a few toys, and one would be like a magic set, and maybe like a bad guy wrestling action figure, and almost kind of like how it was on the, on on a Christmas story, like too many you know, things plugged into the outlet and there's this, this, you know, big, massive, you know, bad, you know, storm going on that night with thunder and lightning. And then just somehow like this, you know, this, you know, a uh, lightning bolt shocks the house and, and just somehow in the combination. And then the magic set gets involved with the, you know, with the Christmas tree and the action figures. And that's somehow how it would have, you know, if we was to actually tell a story and bring it to life, it would have kind of, kind of worked out that way. um, And everything. That sounds, sounds plausible. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, yeah. Well, hey, anything can happen in the WWE, so uh, <laughs> you, know, you might have you know, made it happen happen that way.
0: That's true. That's true. And uh, yeah, and you're right. I guess Jacob stuck around for a while. I think your dad turned him into Doomsday, right? To to kind of uh, capture the the excitement surrounding the death of Superman. Well, what what
3: actually what had happened with that was you know he had the little, the Christmas creature run and kind of just through that really is is just kind of got him noticed a little bit and got him kinda of out there in the ind- independent scene working working a little bit and from there that led him to kind of getting on with, with Smoky Mountain. Yeah
0: that was the that was a gimmick, right?
3: Right. And really the whole reason that he even did the Doomsday Doomsday gimmick was just to let him get some practice to be Kane. You know, they sent him back to Memphis and they wanted him to basically just kind of be, you know, get some practice being a monster again. Okay. Um, so that so that was how the whole reason for being the, the Doomsday character was just, uh, you know, kind of, you know, kind of get some of those movements and, 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 and characteristics down. You know, to, you know, so that when he went up there as Kane, that he, okay, you know, just had a little bit of experience.
0: Gosh, man, the poor guy he starts off the Christmas creature, then he's uh, unibom. Uh, and then he's, I guess the Yankum gimmick and the fake diesel before they decide to repackage him, sending him back to Memphis. So once he thinks he's out of Memphis and he's going through all these, all these bad gimmicks, uh, not that yours is bad. I mean, it was certainly, it was certainly creative and memorable, um, and certainly probably more creative than let's say a fake diesel. Uh, but then he gets, he gets it. I'm sure I would love to have seen the look on his face. Guess what? You're going back to Memphis. Uh, as Doomsday, but it was just sort of of, so he could get practice working under a hood. Right. And and get some more of his timing down.
3: Yeah. And then, and I guess, and also just to probably to try to kind of get away from, you know, just the diesel mannerisms and, and that work style and just to get to try to, you know, practice being more of a, of just some kind of a, you know, a sinister monster type type character, just, just so, they didn't just throw him right in and he had just no time to kind of practice and prepare a different, a different style.
0: Yeah. Uh, And of course, uh, you know, I I guess inherently the Christmas creature is going to have a short uh, shelf life, you know, I mean, it's, you're only going to be able to use him for,
3: for about a month. Yeah. he like, he like the original elf on a shelf, I guess you could say, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs)
0: And then then that's it. And I remember your dad also, it's like Memphis always likes to do the bait and and switch with the mass wrestlers. uh, Because that's when Jared had just reached a deal with Vince McMahon and... But before like the, the main event players had started to come in, you know, like Savage eventually came in in 93 and Lex Luger came in and Mr. Perfect and uh, Vince himself, you know, was feuding with your dad. I think around this time, I think the Bushwhackers maybe had come in, uh, Jim Duggan, but, but none of the, the big names. And so your dad, your dad was trying to insinuate that, uh, that Vince McMahon was sending, well, I think we all knew, know who this guy looks like, implying that it was Sid Vicious. Right. That uh, that Vince was, was sending that as, as a as a kind of a twisted Christmas present to uh, to ruin Jerry Lawler's holiday. Well, season. and
3: probably he also kind of felt like, hey man, like this is going to be really hard to try to like you know sell the people on this and draw any kind of a house money night with this character, you know. So maybe if we make them. You know, just think, you know, that it it's possibly Sid or that he could take the mask off and we reveal that Sid, you know, just any little something extra to try to make people not just kind of like roll their eyes at it or something and, and, and you know, come down there thinking that it, you know, could, you know, just, you know, turn into be something more. Right.
0: Right. Well, I, th- I think they probably did roll their eyes a little bit, but it was actually—I mean, it's actually—it's a classic. Uh, it's a classic Memphis gimmick, and one that is still talked about today.
3: So, uh, yeah. And yeah. as a matter of fact, there was even uh, there was even a time, and 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 I guess it, you know it was back when they were doing it live because my dad had like I guess like called me like in the in the in the middle of it, but it was like one of the times when they was doing SmackDown, and it was like you know their Christmas SmackDown show. And they had like a little scene going on backstage with, you know, a bunch of the divas and a bunch of the wrestlers like having like a Christmas party. And it oh, yeah. was like one particular time where, you know, Kane was just standing there and like a couple of the divas was just standing there putting Christmas ornaments on him. And my dad even made the reference. He said, hey, look at Kane. He looks like some kind of a Christmas creature.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow. Ba-dum-tsh. Yeah. So I, well, hey, at least, well, you know, to some degree, technically, you know, at least the Christmas creature has gotten a mention, you know, on, on WWE. Yes. Um, yes.
0: Yeah. That, that's pretty, that's pretty much the extent of your creative involvement in the attitude. Era,
3: yeah. Unfortunately. You know, um, yeah, it, it was, I mean, cause there was like a, the, you know, there was talks at one time I had, you know, talked with Steve Austin and actually designed a few things and sent them to him, you know, to try to do some t-shirt designs and nothing ever really came of it. And just like you were saying back with all those drawings, um you know same thing you know like jimmy hart you know took all of them um well no nah, well i'm sorry was like jimmy hart was always real big on it and always encouraged me to you know he wanted to like take him and show him to hulk and everybody but then like i gave him to jerry Jarrett. he actually took him up there and and supposedly showed him to vince mcmahon and 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 all that kind of stuff um and i remember like one of the times when like randy savage was in i just didn't believe that you know that he actually took them and showed them, and I just asked Savage. I said, "Hey, do you by any chance know if, you know, if Jerry Jarrett ever showed Vince McMahon these drawings if he saw them?" And and he was like, "Oh yeah, I was there. I I, I, I was there when he did it and saw him. And I was like, "Oh yeah, you know." Um. So I don't know if he ever did anything like that. I mean, nothing ever really ever came of it or anything like that. But um. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Kevin. Hey, man. It's a gimmick that uh, again we're here. We are talking about it, uh, so many years later, and. uh yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think, think it one of those
3: cult classics, you know, like I said, I think it's <laughs> one of the like probably like the last, you know, the last crazy Memphis wrestling kind of monster character that ever came out out of Memphis and uh, you know, um, you know, could probably go down in history like uh, Doctor Frank and Freddie and Jason and Leatherface and Dragon Master and a few of those guys, you know?
0: Yes, yes, quite a, quite quite a history there. All right, Kevin. Well, hey, uh, we'll, have to have to, we'll have to have you back on some other time because I know we've got some, some great stories uh, working outlaw shows together and kind of breaking into the business that way. And, uh, and a lot of backstage stuff that, that we can talk about from the good old days, uh, Saturday morning at 1960 Union Avenue and, of course, Monday nights at the Mid-South Coliseum. It was always, you know, the, the best part to me. I mean, the, it was always great out there performing, but just, you know, I think a lot of the, the best stuff was in the back you know, on Saturday mornings being in front of the monitor as your, you know, your dad was sort of like, you know, the big man on campus. He was the guy that had the best spot
3: at the monitor. And we were all kind of circled around him and he was making his. Yeah. The the monitor was the best because that's when you was just, you know, you were just getting all of the, uh, you know, the comments and the remarks and, and uh, you know, just anything that would, that would go on, you know, from, from all the guys. And, you know, that's where everybody just, you know, like I said, you know, was just, you know, sell out at the monitor type thing, you know, uh, everybody, you know, wanted to see what was happening, but you also wanted to kind of, you know, hear everybody else's, you know, comments and thoughts as, as the stuff was happening and, and everything, especially when something, you know, didn't go according to, according to plan. Or anything. <laughs> yeah. Which was,
0: which was, uh, which was bound to happen. That pretty much was the plan that. And, now,
3: was- and I, and I thought, I thought you was going to tell it. You was actually was telling the story the other day. And I thought you was going to lead into this unless I just missed it. But, um, but like, like, with that in mind, like, remember the time when, you know, I guess, like, you went, they, Saturday morning TV, they went to commercial break. My dad had, like, thrown fire on you, and, um, you know, but he wanted to, like, make sure that your jacket, like, had, like, a nice, good burn <laughs> hole in it. And made you know, so that when yeah. you went back out there, people could see the hole. But, you know, so all of a sudden, like, the, you know, the camera is, like, cut back <laughs> to the back. And there's, like, you and my dad standing there. And, like, he's, like, you know, getting you know, all prepared. Yeah, and you're like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're,
0: we're holding – it was a Florida State starter jacket that my bo- Uncle Bobby had given me. And your dad had tossed a fireball. At me and it and it burned it and we were supposed to come back and uh, and say, look at this, look he burned a hole right through my jacket, the jacket my uncle Bobby gave me, and so your dad and I are back there with a lighter, <laughs> 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 trying to, trying to burn a hole through this thing, and we know that they're like seconds away and they're about to tape some other backstage segment, but we thought the camera guy was already down the hall and that camera guy comes. To- <laughs> the look on your dad's face it was like (laughs) "Ah!" (laughs) because that would have been awfully hard to explain but luckily the uh they had not pitched it back and he kind of continued down the hall and then he found what he was looking for but oh your dad about had a heart attack oh all right kevin hey man uh well thanks for joining us on uh, kentucky fried wrestling and uh, we'll definitely uh, have to have you back soon So the night after debuting in Osceola on a Friday in 1992, the Christmas creature and manager Burt Prentice threatened to put a damper on the holiday plans of Santa Claus and Jerry Lawler, much to the delight of perennial bad boy Brian Christopher and the disgust of do-gooder Dave Brown. Let's pick up this clip in progress shortly after Prentice delivers a vicious kick to the rump of dear old St. Nick.
5: Hey, come
6: on. Prentice, you get it. There's a little help there. I'm just almost speechless here. What? Who would do that to Santa Claus? Santa? I think Santa's okay there, Gibbs. Yes. Yeah, uh, there are some bad people around, and Bert Prentice, one album right there, he just proved it, as if we didn't already know it. Thank goodness Jerry Lawler was uh, just around the corner.
5: <laughs> did you see that, Dave Brown? Christopher, oh, Bert Prentiss just beat up Santa Claus. <laughs> now, no, now, you enjoyed it, huh? Santa Claus, the better footed. Did you see that? oh, fuck! That was t- Oh, God.
6: That was not great. That was ridiculous is what it was. You might know those two would be celebrating. Right? If you don't mind, we've got a
5: match. Today. And that is all I wanted for Christmas right there. To see Santa Claus get his butt kicked by Bert Prentiss.
6: Well, maybe all you get for Christmas with an attitude like that, too, let me tell you. Now, let's get into the action here. This is the Christmas creature. He is huge. Oh, my goodness. Going against Trey Keller.
7: Yeah, he is tough. And boy, this Christopher and Prentice, you talk about getting on your nerves. Printers, would you go over there, would you? Christmas creature picks up Trey Keller, drops down on him with a big elbow, and uh, boy, this day hadn't started off yet the way we wanted it to. Had sent out here, and has a lot of great things to say about people in the area here and promoting Eddie Mullen and the great things we've done for the kids this time of the year. And... Bert Prentice goes up and double crosses Santa.
4: Boy, yeah, uh,
6: I tell you, Prentice, real piece of work.
7: Let me tell you, man, look at that Christmas creature. Gets the one, two, three. He just picked Trey Keller up by his throat and slammed him down. in there he's looked totally awesome in this now. He took care of Trey Keller and got the one, two, three. He is huge. There's no doubt about it. Prentice was yelling during the movie. Yeah,
6: tell Jerry Lawler about him. I, I guarantee you Jerry Lawler knows about him. This guy is huge. He comes in all decked out in red, white, and green with the tinsel wrapped around, including the mask. They call him the Christmas creature. But I tell you what, he, he may be dressed in uh, in uh, Christmas colors, but he is certainly not have the Christmas spirit.
1: So that December 1992 bout with Jerry Lawler and the Christmas creature. That was one of your first bouts back as an official?
0: Yeah, you know, I I originally started uh, as a referee in January 1991. Uh, I mostly worked Saturday TVs and Monday nights. Uh, I'd been writing a magazine article for a class at the University of Memphis, and Brian Christopher was... He was actually kind of dead set on making a career in the wrestling profession. But uh, slowly but surely, he was wrestling part-time. And so I was already friends with Kevin Lawler. So I got to kind of hang around the back. And I was uh, helping set up the ring a couple of times. And one time, uh, I believe Eric Embry was out cutting a promo. The the Texas Bunch angle was starting to take off. And he said something like, Jerry Lawler, I have not, never liked you. And he really... (laughs) <laughs> it was it was really ominous promo, and uh, Lawler happened to be standing next to me, and I laughed, and uh, I said, "Boy, a double negative that that always gets heat." And then Lawler really started laughing, <laughs> and uh, and then that's around the time they they either either they fired Jerry Calhoun or he quit. I think there's some little controversy behind the scenes there, but at any rate, I guess they wanted to replace one skinny incompetent referee with another one, uh, which is not to say that that was. The true Jerry Cahoon, I've had several conversations with him, and uh, he's actually a really intelligent, uh, smart guy. But inside the ring, you know, you can't see everything. We don't have eyes in the back of our head. And, you know, we have little to no backup uh, with officials like Eddie Marlin and his retarded— illegitimate son randy hale's running things but, that, but again we're oh come we're, on we're, I, I, i'm sorry i'm sorry mentally disadvantaged all right i'm sorry but uh but yeah around december 1992 it was like uh christmas come early for me uh i had to stop refereeing because i was a victim of nepotism if you can believe it or not in the wrestling business I had about three months under my belt, and, uh, and Paul Nabors, and so cousin of Jerry Jarrett's, ended up taking my spot. Uh, but not before I got to work with some really cool guys, some guys I had idolized my entire life. And I'm talking about Jim Cornette who had finally been able to convince the Fabulous Ones to turn to the dark side, which was the original plan for the angle way back in 1982. But Kern and Lane just got over so strong as Jackie Fargo's boys that plans were abruptly dropped. And Cornette found himself managing guys like uh, Jesse Barr and the Apocalypse and Adrian Street there for a while. It was a real thrill for me. I think it was one of my first days refereeing. I'm in a, you know, just wearing some khaki pants and I think a rope belt and a freshly starched polo shirt and my Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity pin. Because I, uh, I, <laughs> I was a sophomore at uh, the then Memphis State University. I'm all excited. And wow, I get insulted by Jim Cornette. It was quite a thrill.
5: Because let me tell you something, we've been big dogs in this business for a long time now. We're the world tag team champions once again, and we're used to making big money. Now everybody's giving us a lot of flack for taking Terry Funk's money. Well, Terry Funk's been a big star for 20 years, made movies in Hollywood, been the NWA world champion, now he's the USWA world champion. He's got a big ranch out in Amarillo, he's got a lot of money. And if he wants to spend a few hundred thousand dollars of his money to make his life as champion a little more comfortable, then that's exactly what I think he ought to do. And I think we ought to be the ones to collect it. And I'm I'm also sure that from judging from the reaction of all these women around here, these big, fat, ugly, corn-fed women, they're glad to finally see some real men back in this area because they're starved for the sight of them. Now, I talked to Terry Funk on the phone just shortly before we went on the air today, and i got a little announcement to make. If you morons will hold on for a second, got a little announcement to make. You see, Jeff Jarrett is the new Southern Heavyweight Champion. And as such, he's one of the top two contenders For the world heavyweight title, the other one being Jerry the King Lawler. Now, we already got finished with Eddie Gilbert. We collected 50 grand on him. That opened up that spot which Jeff filled. So Terry Funk informs me that in addition to the $50,000 being out on Jerry Lawler, there's now $50,000 out on Jeff Jarrett. And brother, that's right up our alley. Because Jeff Jarrett, you little stinking, suicide blonde, died by his own hands you little stinking pencil neck geek. we're going to take and we're going to take you out for 50 grand too just like we're going to take jerry lawler out because this week jerry lawler and bill dundee won another shot we beat the stinking brains out last week we almost got the job done on lawler it's a little tougher than what we thought but we're going to get that done this week with lawler and dundee for free just you know he's got kind of like one of those little trial sizes we're going to get Bill and need for free, and then we're coming after Jeff Jarrett. And then whoever gets to those top two contender spots, the fabulous ones, the baddest, roughest, Meanest tag team, the world tag team champions, they're going to take them out. They're going to break their backs because, brother, there ain't no two construction workers, ain't no two ditch diggers, ain't no two rednecks in this area, ain't no two men on the face of this earth that can beat these guys up in a fight or a wrestling match. Lawler and Dundee this week, Jeff Jarrett real soon, and then whoever gets to those spots, Terry Funk's gonna pay us real well. We're making big bucks at this. This is better than a lottery. Dave, we got, we got a couple of guys to beat up. Look at these two. The Bobsy twins, we got a We're couple of guys drop to beat up. on these two guys and a couple of scud missiles. Stanley and Steve Kerr, and the fabulous
6: ones, and doing all the talking, most of the talking there. Jimmy Cornett, tennis racket in hand, their manager. We are just about set to go with tag team action. The fabulous ones will be going against Jerry Lynn and Cody Michaels, who have been patiently waiting and listening to uh, all the things that Cornett was uh, having to say. Scott Bowden, the referee, uh,
5: you see what I mean here? The people in this area, the women in this area, are starved for the sight of real men. These two guys look like a couple of living Cabbage Patch dolls, and the referee looks like a grown-up Beaver Cleaver.
6: Jimmy, I think you've just about insulted everyone in the USWA territory in the last two and a half minutes. you got to prove it in the ring. The fabulous ones will have to be considered heavy favorites in this
0: match. And then the next week was even better. I actually caught uh, Steve Kern delivering a driver and disqualified the Fabs in about against the New Kids, which I think is a gimmick that Jeffrey Bowdrin had come up with, uh, only for Owen Hart and, and, and somebody else as part of his uh, Bowdrin the booking series for the Wrestling Observer. Lawler obviously was reading The Observer back then and took it for uh, his own son, Brian Lawler and Tony Williams. And uh, they came out and uh, were trying to – it just didn't quite look right seeing these guys battle the fabulous ones. Uh, and there was also like a row of heel fans. and These guys were bikers, and they hated me. And the new kids with a passion. And when Kern finally gives me, he gives me that, that he gives me like a big forearm shiver. And man, it, <laughs> it really did like almost have my head spinning. And I, and I just sell it big time. I really don't have any choice to because he kind of knocked me goofy. And Lawler has to pick me up and make the save and carry me to the back. I guess you know when I came back in '92. I guess Lawler thought I would remember that. I guess he thought he's going to be able to push me around like his uh, little softball buddy Jerry Calhoun. Huh, not so fast, Kingfish. One night, I'd about had enough of Lawler's disregard for the rules, his flagrant disregard for authority. He had pushed me around one too many times. Let's go back to that clip from May 1994.
6: Teams, we had some tag team action involving uh, Jeff Jarrett, Double J, and Jerry Lawler, who who finally got uh, some, some miscommunication worked out and got together as a tag team to go against the Dream Machine and Eddie Gilbert. Watch this video right here and pay particular attention to Scott Bowden, the referee. What happened at the end? Watch. <laughs> oh, and
7: there, setting up hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert. Double J comes over. And Lauer picks him up. Paul drives Eddie Gilbert. Ho, <laughs> <laughs> What a thought in and in this super cross match on now in this bout. Dream Machine that stopped and kicked him off, and Double J and uh, the King trying to find out from the fans what's going on, and the fans there are telling them that it was Scott who did it, Scott Bum, one of the USWA referees, and uh, Lawler and Jarrett calling up referees, to What got in the boat? And I Did not know. And Lauren and Jared in the face of the referee Scott Bowden. And Bowden steps in there. Oh boy, that could be a mistake for Scott. He had a hope that the king and noble day will be very, very kind going, but uh. this match. In 10-06, it was Bowden who stopped on Lawler's shoulder, knocked the key off, and Gilbert got the pin. Whoa! Bowden shoved Takes off! Referee Scott Bowden!
8: Boy, I tell you one thing, that young man has got a lot to learn right here and now gets up in there and pulls something like that. I just can't. I wanted, I wish I knew the explanation for exactly what he was telling Frank Morrell and all that. We saw it right there. Absolutely knew exactly what he was talking about. No, we don't. We're going to find out, though, Dave. See if we can get him out here, because there's got to be some. Here he comes right now. Yeah. You had a lot of conversation with Frank Morrell out there. We want to know what in the world was that all about. Where is it your place to come out here, kick the
9: king in the head, and do all of that? Hey, let me tell you something, Lance Russell. I was through refereeing for the night, and I looked up. What the tape didn't show? Jeff Jarrett purposely dropkicked Frank Morrell. And Frank, you know, he's the only living person that's actually older than Eddie Marlin, has a heart attack right in the middle of the ring. And I run out there to save Frank's life, to give him CPR, and on my referee instinct, okay, I drop down to count. And at that moment... I'd also see Lawler pile drive Eddie Gilbert. You forget about that, that was on the tape.
5: At that moment,
9: all the months and months of Jerry Lawler's flagrant disregard for the rules, the flagrant disregard for authority, he has pushed me around, he has shoved me. i tell you what, Lance, Husser, I just wasn't gonna stand for it anymore, I couldn't take it. I was disgusted and saw so something like the cockroach that he is, let me tell you that. You took it upon yourself to do it. Jerry Lawler has Eddie Gilbert down. You,
8: as a referee, step in there, take it upon yourself, Kick him and cause a
9: loss of the match in there. Count him out. Now, where do you get off doing something like
1: that?
8: Oh,
9: boy, this is surprising that you're taking Lawler's side. Well, when you left in 89, it wasn't to go to Atlanta. It was to run the Jerry Lawler fan club full time. Everybody knows you're
8: that smart
9: stuff in here. Used to be, I stood up to Jerry Lawler and he couldn't stand it. Did you see him? He was like all bug-eyed. He was so shocked that a referee actually fought back. Let me tell you something, boss. It's going to happen again
8: if you come out and mess with me Well, it isn't going to happen with you because I wish you would listen to this little announcement. Eddie Marlin couldn't be here today, but he told me what he wanted to pass on to Scott Bowden. If you're listening, Eddie Marlin says... You are suspended. Your job is out. You're
5: Bob. <laughs> oh, you stand here and say get up, for what? That's the jury
8: Lawler? What? Because
9: you kicked him in the head, oh, you took a place that and no referee no, has any. You know, this is a
5: perfect example. You're suspended. Now, hey, let me tell you,
9: this is a perfect example of how Lawler's got the promotion in his back pocket. You understand me? What did I do? Let me tell you one thing, young do man. Did Lawler, power drive, do Lawler power drive You
4: bet
8: listen, that doesn't have did anything Lawler to do with it. But yes so, suspension right. is.
4: Yeah, you never
8: missed anything. He's suspended, and that's all there is to it. And you better learn one thing right now. In this life, you pay. You have to take the responsibility for your act.
5: Okay, Dad. I cannot believe I have stood back and heard you actually say that anyone told you to suspend this young man after he did what we've taught all of our young people to do. Stand up for yourself. Stand up for yourself. After all those years... Jerry Calhoun referee in here, let Laura get by with murder. Then Frank Morrell, Paul Davis, the list goes on and on and on. And when somebody fights back, you suspend them. This man, this man will have to stand on the street corner now with a sign saying, I'll referee for money. See, he doesn't have a job. You no, suspended him now. He has no job. This poor, whatever. What am I get into a position buddy? where you would kick a referee? I don't know. What I don't know. Do. Well, I'll tell you what, buddy.
7: You've got a friend in me, and I'll find you something, do. Oh, yeah, on, yeah, Eddie Gilbert's well.
9: my best friend now. You understand that? Let me tell you something, Drew. You haven't heard the last of me. When you least expect it, expect it, Lawler, okay? Eddie Gilbert's my best, you best friend. You haven't learned
8: anything if Eddie Gilbert is your best friend, because I'll tell you, people judge you by the folks you hang out
0: So, yeah, that was obviously one of the biggest thrills of my life. Uh, the whole thing... Came about by accident. There really was no advance planning that I was going to turn heel. Uh, actually, I had my girlfriend from college and some of my best friends from high school and maybe even a, a couple of my fraternity brothers uh, in attendance. And I asked Eddie Gilbert, I said, look, I, I know you guys are looking for some kind of controversial finish to get this thing thrown out, maybe come back with a rematch. I said, what if you uh throw the fire at Lawler and he ducks and it hits me and a big schmoz breaks out and then it's just, you know, a, a no contest. You guys battle to the back. Obviously, and, and believe me, that was one of the very few times where I was starting to suggest finishes to Eddie Gilbert. Uh, Moondog Spot was initially the only one who would kind of perk up and and understand that I was a kid who had watched this my whole life. And he would ask me my opinion on finishes. And then slowly Doug Gilbert started asking me. And the dream and I would even talk over some stuff. Troy Graham, he was a hell of a guy. And uh, slowly but surely, Eddie Gilbert started coming around, and he goes, huh, let me think about that. And so when I go in to get that finish for that Monday night, he and the Dream Machine taking on Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Lawler in a grudge tag match. I go in, and Eddie's kind of looking at me. He's got a devilish grin on his face, and Law goes, hey, Scott, uh, sit down for a second. We're going to turn you heel. And I went, And I look over at Eddie, and he's just like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> he's just loving it and uh, man I was so nervous but I had that a going to going a lot of goes whatever you do man lay that kick in there and I certainly did. I planted that cell, size 12 Doc Martin shoe right on his head. And I had been sort of like, you know, the, kind of the, kind of the cocky referee. I would kind of shoot the fans at ringside who were always on my ass about Missed a car. I kind of shoot them kind of dirty looks. And I was still wearing like the polo shirts and the nice clothes. So in my mind, I was sort of setting myself up. For this fateful night when I might get my shot to be a Hill manager. And one interesting thing about it, I started plotting out this promo for like, you know, uh, days and practicing in front of a mirror. And I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And then I get there Saturday morning and they say, well, you're going to go out there and apologize. And I just, I got, what? what? That, that's not what I had in mind. And I said, "Yeah, yeah. Well, you're gonna apologize, but you're still gonna be suspended. You'll manage for a couple of weeks, and then you'll but you'll keep screwing up. And then Eddie will beat you up, and then we'll bring you back in five weeks as a babyface referee again." I go, oh, "No, no, 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 no. I, I've gotten this far. <laughs> so, so when I say that part about you know, I was disgusted, and I stomped Jerry Lawler like the cockroach that he is." <laughs> Kevin Lawler told me later that his dad went, "What the fuck is he doing? What?" <laughs> What is he doing? And then the longer it goes on with Lance, you know, and I going back and forth and him carrying me, it ended up being some really good television. And that was all Lance just uh, just carrying me. And I get to the back and Lawler waves me over and he's like, OK, all right, that's pretty good. But next time, just go out there and say what we tell you to say. But nevertheless, he uh, Lawler was a little fired up. He let me know about it in this promo for the uh, for the coming week. Little did I realize that, uh, that I would be finally, you know, I, I'm sitting here living the dream. I turn heel and I get to manage one of my heroes, Eddie Gilbert. And then the following week, I get to accompany Eddie, not only to ringside, but then I get a fireball tossed into my face. I mean, this is like the stuff of dreams and I'm living it. But it all starts with this promo with a really ticked off king. It's almost like guaranteed fight night in hockey. If he says he's going to light me up, he's going to do it. Let's play that now a very big smile on his face for Memorial Day.
8: Uh Then will come Scott Bowden's D-Day. Now in this one, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert will be in against Jerry the King Lawler right away. I'm telling you, two of the best wrestlers in the country right there. But the outcome of it is, if Lawler can beat Eddie Gilbert, then he gets Five minutes with Scott Bowden. I love it.
7: Boy, that'll be a long five minutes for Bowden. I guarantee you that if Lawler gets the winner there. that. it's Jerry Lawler's D-Day, they say. Dream Machine and uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Dream Machine out here talking about some slow walking and sad singing for the King. But let me remind you that the King has not yet made his announcement of who his partner is, but we'll be here. Here he from comes. Here. Yeah. We, uh, we, we'll get some information out of it in there.
2: Yeah.
8: Bri- how's Brian's uh, getting along back there after well, Bam
2: Bam got him? I can say this to Bam Bam Bigelow and to the Dream Machine. If you want to come on out here right now, come on, because I got something for you. And I'll tell you this too, you didn't get the job done with Brian Christopher. I don't know what was in those brains of yours, what you were trying to do. If you're trying to put somebody's eyes out or in somebody's careers, you didn't get the job done. It takes more than a couple of jerks like you to finish off a man like Brian Christopher. You can call him a boy all you want to, but I can assure you he's a man. Now, we want to talk about Sunday nights, We want to talk about D-Day. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that don't even know the significance of D-Day. But I know some people that will know it come tomorrow night. They're gonna know that it was known as the longest day. They're gonna know that there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of suffering, there were a lot of lives lost on D-Day. Well, tomorrow night at the Mid-South Coliseum, there's gonna be a lot of pain and suffering. It's gonna start out with you, Scott Bowden. You talk about somebody being skinny. Oh, I'm going to tell you this, Scott Bowden. I can't wait to get five minutes with you, but I promise you this, and I promise the fans this. It is not going to take five minutes. It is not going to take five minutes. It is not going to take two minutes, Scott Bowden, because you see, you are about as big as a matchstick, and I'm going to light you up just like a match down there tomorrow night. I promise you that, Scott Bowden. Payback, time. Now, bam, bam, big
0: So, of course, after Lawler throws the fireball at me, they cover me up with a towel really quickly, and they rush me back to the dressing room. And all week long, I've been trying to touch base with Jerry and figure out, you know, when we're going to get together so he can apply this this makeup to make it look like my face has been horribly ravaged. Can't even show my face in Germantown. And he sort of keeps putting me off a little bit. Ah, you know, it's like ah, Thursday night, maybe, or Friday night. Uh, I tell you what, let's just do it Saturday morning for TV. And then I find out Saturday morning... WWE is called, and they need him to be somewhere. (laughs) So I'm driving to 1960 Union Avenue on very short notice, and I'm looking around my car, you know, do I have an ace bandage back here, something, anything? And at this time, you know, it's my senior year at the university, and I'm also, like a lot of Memphians, working at FedEx part-time. And if you work outside in the elements, driving like a tug or a truck, they give you these really, they do definitely keep you warm, but they're warm and itchy, these bright orange ski mask. And that's the only thing I have to to kind of cover up. So I'm wearing my khakis, my Cole Haan shoes, polo shirt with a tie and a a navy blue double-breasted blazer. And of course, that outfit wouldn't be complete without a bright orange ski mask. And I can almost still hear the roar of laughter uh, from my colleagues at FedEx as they're huddled around the TV in the break room, as they recognize me standing there wearing my winter (laughs) FedEx orange ski mask gear out on live television to conduct an interview uh, to cover up my horrible, horrible burns at the hands of Lawler.
6: Here they come, right here. Well, it's all look. How
10: come I can't have Lance out here? You know, I did just exactly what I said I was going to do, David Brown. I am the USWA heavyweight champion. Brian Christopher, I don't know what you out here so happy about because you are now gutless, you are beltless, but, you know, the main thing Lawler tried, well, he did. Look at this guy. Now, he, he is burnt beyond recognition. But well, I recognize him. as Scott Bowden is well, who it is. I recognize him. But what I'm trying to say is now I am the Royal Highness. I am the new king of the USWA. And, you know, I am so sick to my stomach of all of these rednecks blowing their whiskey-smelling breath and shaking their nicotine fingers in my face. I'm sick of that. Because, you know, every week I come out here and they bow down to Lawler, you know, and they do some kind of ritual prayer. It's like he is the king, David. He is the king. Well, he's not the king no more. I'm the new king. I mean, Brian, you was first, and then Lawler. But can you get a close-up shot of this redneck that keeps hollering, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Lawler over here. You know what I like to do? I like to break his little pencil neck, retarded arm. That's what I would like to do. come on. No, I don't have to come on. I want to break his arm. But you see, Lawler, it don't matter. You burnt this guy right here. He's scarred for
9: life, David. Look at, look at me, Dave Brown. Look at me, Dave Brown. I got plastic surgeons nationwide. looking at photos photos me, seeing what they can do. Don't get upset. But I don't promise, after Monday, after Monday night, they won't be able to recognize Lawler. All the plastic surgery in the world will not be able to save you after Monday night, Lawler. After what this man has got in store.
6: You're gonna be in the corner of uh, the Dream Machine and Doug Gilbert.
9: I that's, understand. That's exactly right. Lawler had to sneak up. Lawler had to sneak up on a cripple. Here I was with my hurt leg, trying to take my eyesight from me, too. I would have been as worthless as Corey Macklin if he had succeeded. Do you realize that, Dave Brown? Texas tornado, Deathmatch, Falls count
10: anywhere, blood going to flow like wine. Lawler, I've got you just now where I want you, Brian. You're history, baby. It's over for you.
0: So I love that part where the dream machine and Troy Graham, who's just one of the all-time great promos, is saying, look at this kid. He's He's been burned beyond recognition. And Dave Brown goes, I recognize him. It's Scott Bowden. Ah, uh, you just can't sneak anything past Dave Brown. So at this point, I've got the Germantown frat boy gimmick going, and that's sort of like me, but like with the volume turned up, uh, way up. Uh, but I'm thinking, you know, all, all the great Memphis managers—they've had their trademark weapons over the years. You know, Jimmy Hart and his walking cane, and later a megaphone and WWE cornet with the tennis racket that he would load with a uh, with a horseshoe, and and that was a suit. Uh, sometimes the boys would forget about that and take a pretty stiff shot to the back of the head with it. And, of course, Paul Heyman with his cell phone, which at the time, you know, when they, when he first debuted with it, the cell phone was, was a pretty big, powerful, sturdy weapon. So after enduring so many mishaps in the ring, I uh, needed something strong and sturdy to protect my boyish good looks. And I knew just the man to call, my uncle out in Tallahassee, Florida. You know, Dave, things
9: haven't been exactly going Scott Bowden's way here lately in the USWA. That's true. My men have suffered some of the biggest losses in their careers these past few weeks. And I was sitting at home this past week, licking my wounds. I've been taking a lot of shots to the head here lately. And I contemplated... I was contemplating getting out of the wrestling profession because I was wondering, was it my fault? Was it my fault that my men weren't mentally and physically prepared before they got into the ring with their matches? You look to the manager a lot of times. And I was sitting there, and I was about that close to calling it quits, and then fate stepped in. The telephone rang. It was a long-distance phone call from Tallahassee, Florida. It was my uncle Bobby. That's right, Bobby Bowden, coach of the national champion. Uncle Seminole. That's brutal. exactly right. For those of you that don't know, of course, I'm sure people in this area probably haven't even follow college football because you got teams out here like. Memphis State. Oh, excuse me. The University of Memphis, Tiger High, whatever you want to call it. Hey, come on. I, they couldn't beat my high school alma mater, the Germantown Red Devils in a football game, let alone a college team. And another Redneck team, the Tennessee Volunteers, got beat last week by the number 2 team in Florida, the University of Florida Gators. And brother Uncle Bobby said, "Scotty boy." That's what he likes to call me, Scotty boy. He said, "I understand you're having a little trouble there in Memphis." But I want you to come down to Tallahassee and give an inspirational talk to my players. And I was so touched, I went down to Tallahassee, I spoke to the fellas, and I told them about how against all odds, I've come back week after week after getting pile driven, after getting fire thrown in my face, after getting hit with a chair, hit with a chain. And I looked out, Dave, and there were 300-pound linemen with tears in their eyes as I spoke. And they told me afterwards that they are so fired up that they're going to hit the field today and just crush North Carolina, baby. They are on their way back to number one after my inspirational talk.
6: You went to Tallahassee and gave the Florida State number 3-4 team in the country an inspirational talk, okay? Right?
9: That's exactly right, David. you're going to see a total turnaround in their play. They're going to score 100 points today, they promised me. And as a token of gratitude, as you can see right here, Clifton Abraham, the quarterback, who last week scored, I think, four touchdowns, gave me this workout shirt. It's a little bit big on me, but I'm working out, and I'll fill it out pretty soon. You can better believe that. And Derek Brooks, Derek Brooks, who recently came back from a suspension, gave me a Florida State starter jacket. Of course, I have sense enough to wear a starter jacket here in this city because you get shot, and somebody rip it off your back before you even knew what happened. But the greatest gift, the greatest gift might just be right here. This Florida State football helmet that Uncle Bobby himself gave to me. He gave, he said, Scotty boy, can I see that? Yeah, you can look at it. Hey, don't go smudge it all up. Well, it looks like it
6: was painted with a spray can. That, that does not look like a legitimate Florida State football helmet to me. Have you
9: ever played football for Florida State? I have not. Neither of well, you. Shut, hey,
6: then shut up, then. You don't know what their helmets are like, old man. i tell you what I'm going to do. You and Florida State, good luck to Florida State. I'll reserve judgment on uh, wishing you good luck. Hey, and right you here. can talk a- about all of this stuff, make it all up. Tell player. us about whatever dream you had. We're going to be back and I get this show player. underway, in just
0: a moment. Ah, so good old Uncle Bobby comes through not only with a Florida State football helmet. Actually, it was a solid white one that I had purchased from a second-end store in Midtown Memphis, and uh, Lawler painted the rest of it. But he also gave me a prize Seminoles starter jacket, which uh, these were like two or $300 jackets that kids were being <laughs> routinely robbed of by gunpoint just for the, for the gear and their shoes. And one day on TV, since I'm wearing the football helmet, Lawler can't get me with the fire to the face. So he goes for a body shot, and he burns my prize starter jacket. Oh, outrageous. Outrageous behavior by the king.
1: Well, well, Scott, earlier uh, Kevin told the story of you and Lawler burning the jacket with a lighter backstage, trying to make the hole big enough to be seen on TV when the
0: cameras nearly caught you (laughs) on live TV. Yeah, we're like we're like rushing back there, you know, because it's supposed to it's supposed to come they're supposed to come back from the break with a with a backstage segment with somebody and then by the time they come from that, it's supposed to and this is all live that I'm supposed to be out there with the jacket and I'm supposed to be able to stick like almost my hand through the hole that Jerry Lawler has burned through the finger go, "Look at this! Look at this!" So Lawler and I are holding the jacket, you know, and we're burning it and man that camera walks in and for a split second we thought we were on the air <laughs> Inca cahoots burning this thing, which just, uh yeah, that would have exposed uh, some secrets right there that maybe everything wasn't exactly up and up in the world of Memphis Wrestling. Anyway, I I I, mean, I, I grabbed the jacket finally get a hole big enough to go out there for my for my fist to fit through it and i'm showing dave brown who's showing me absolutely no no sympathy and i'm demanding that randy Hales, who i've been calling like the forrest gump of pro wrestling make a decision for once you know suspend law oh i forgot he can't because of his mental condition much to the shock and utter disgust of an increasingly pissed off dave brown Legitimate things to talk about
6: as long as you'll do that you may have your say.
9: You don't start on that football. Hey, don't cut me up again Dave Brown. You've been rude to me all day. You know why Randy Hales doesn't have the authority to suspend Jerry Lawler? Have you ever wondered that? Why Randy Hales never makes a decision? Have you ever wondered that Dave Brown? He makes decisions. Oh. No he doesn't. You know why? Because he's nothing more than a figurehead. That's because he's partially retarded, Dave Brown. I didn't know I more aware don't of that. Don't start with didn't that stuff. I not know you that, but Randy Hales is partially retarded. Dave Brown, have you ever seen the look on a wrestler's face when he wins a big match? He's grinning from ear to ear, and he's dumping up and down. Have you ever seen that look? That's the same thing that Randy Hales does whenever he forms a complete sentence. He's an idiot. He's legitimate. Hey. Let me tell you something. He does not have the power to make a decision out here. So come on out here, boy, because you can't suspend me either, because I'll slap you around. Evidently, you don't have the authority of sticking redneck from Jonesboro. The reason to why nobody ever knew he was retarded, because he lives in Jonesboro. Don't say that again. And nobody notices, because everybody in Jonesboro is retarded. No, I almost All right. right. you get ready to get cut off yeah, one more it, time uh, here,
6: because we're there. not going to put up on I'll this. Come out here and talk here about right Randy now. Hales. You've you know got
9: their matches you know coming what? up this he week. He has a job here in the USWA because you think, well, he's retarded, so why they have him around? Well, many years ago... Quit using that word. Many years ago, Eddie Morton was going through Jonesboro, and he met up with a little wrestling groupie, and now Randy Hales is the illegitimate son. Stop. That's it right there. I've had it.
3: Not going to
6: listen to any more of this. That is it. I I told you, you come out here and you you talk about... This Randy speak for himself. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, Randy. Got your place for it. Randy, Randy. Scott, stay back. Hey, hey, hey.
1: Forget Randy Hales. Now you've got Dave Brown wanting to kick your ass,
0: man. And that was so surreal to see Dave Brown <laughs> in front of you backstage cursing you. I mean, he unloaded on me with a series of expletives that would make Terry Funk blush. I mean, I, I, sir, I about I nearly shit my khakis. But anyway, eventually, so we we got a belt signed at the Coliseum with Randy and me. So I don't think fans were necessarily going in there expecting Lawler and Dundee or Steamboat and Flair. But uh, it is a, it is pretty a wild short brawl. I think we blow up after about three or four minutes of this, and Tommy Rich unmercifully comes out and interferes, and together we take off my belt and we're just whipping the shit out of Hell with this belt until Lawler makes the save. But again, by the time the King gets there, I'm man, I'm tired. <laughs> (laughs) And I'm laying in probably the weakest kicks you've ever seen. And I'm also not wearing my usual thick conhole loafers. I'm wearing some Ralph Lauren leather moccasins that can absolutely do no damage. So for the only time that we ever worked together, the king actually potatoed me upside the noggin. I mean, and he knocked me goofy. And it was really just a way to get my attention and his way of letting me know, hey, kid, lay the damn kicks in there, all right? So that sets up yet another milestone in my brief managerial career. The following Monday night, I was going to be main eventing against the King. I'd be teaming with a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, not Dusty Rhodes, Tommy Rich, who held that NWA title for all of four or five days, something like that. Eh, Better than nothing. Against Lawler and Randy Hales. And here's some classic dueling promos to set up this encounter.
7: me. Here comes the king, Jerry Lowe. He's got yeah. his the right hand. And here goes Richard Bowden. And let me tell you, I have absolutely no respect at all for these two son of a on. <laughs>
8: I'll tell you one thing for a fact, the king got one shot in on him. He got tuned up beating guys like Jimmy Hart and he is just waiting for to get a hold of that scott bowden when they come up there and and that tag match that jerry's going to be there and he may have his chance i wonder what scott bowden thinks
6: about the situation now knowing he has to look across the ring and see not only randy Hales but jerry
8: the king lost. yeah makes a whole lot of difference you've got that for a living fact uh he had some comments about it i think dave let's take a listen and see what bowden had to say
9: Boy, what a great day today is, because you see, usually every Saturday morning, I have to wake up at my nice house in Germantown, which all you rednecks hate, don't you? You hate it, don't you? And I get in my Candy Apple Red Mitsubishi Eclipse sports car, and I have to come down there to Midtown Memphis. That's right, Scum Central, and entertain all you stinking rednecks. Well, I'm not there this week. That's right. I promised Uncle Bobby I'd come down for the biggest game of the season. Florida State's playing Miami today, and he wanted another Bowden on the sidelines with him, an ace in the hole, so to speak. But I kind of wish I was there today, because I'm going to miss slapping around Randy Hales, the Forrest Gump of professional wrestling. You know, last Monday, huh, you know, a wrestling match with me is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, because you got a fist, you got a kick, and huh, you got a little whipping, didn't you, redneck? Didn't you? I guess your illegitimate daddy, Eddie Marlin never whipped you like that, did he? Well, I promise you this, Rainy Hills. You came out there last week going, I love wrestling. I love wrestling. Well, let me tell you something, boy. You're going to be singing a different tune after this Monday, I promise you that. You're going to be hating wrestling because, buddy, (laughs) my fist is going to become very friendly with your face Monday night. I can promise you that. You think last week or something. Boy, you ain't not been in a fight till you've been in a fight with a boy from Germantown. I'm going to show you what rich kids in Germantown do to rednecks from Jonesboro, Arkansas, and even your stinking illegitimate daddy, Eddie Marlin, ain't going to save you. I promise you that. More punishment Monday night. Scott's
6: not here. I don't know if he's at uh, Miami for the Florida State game or not, but he is not here. I think that says a lot. He also, he could insult Randy, who's coming right here all he wants, call him Forrest Gump. My recollection of that movie was that Forrest Gump won everything he tried, and that may be the case this week. Randy, we saw what happened. I know you got help this time around.
11: As you know, Dave, I've been around a long time, and I've never been in a situation where I can come out here and feel that I can really say what I feel about somebody. I think everybody out here saw last week, I hate Scott Bowden's stinking guts is what I think about Scott Bowden. He's nothing but a rich kid, from Germantown that's had everything he's ever had handed to him on a silver platter. Dave, you've worked for everything you've ever gotten. So has all these people, and so has Jerry Lawler. I have too, and you don't know what work is, Scott Bowden, but I tell you one thing. You talk about the hick, you talk about the redneck. Everybody saw what happens when a hick gets a hold of a rich boy from Germantown last week in Memphis. Now, one thing, last Monday I thought everything was going good. I had Scott Bowden and Tommy Rich came in. I still have the wealth on my back, Dave. But this week, it's a different situation. This week, I've asked Jerry Lawler to be my partner. And this week, it's a situation where I can give Scott Bowden a beating with that belt that his daddy or mother never gave
2: him. (laughs) Let me just say, I know and have known Randy Hales for about 17 years. I first met Randy Hales when I was wrestling in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Randy was 14 years old, and he started at that time helping uh, set up the ring in Jonesboro. He went from helping set up the ring to uh, just about doing every kind of odd job there was around wrestling, and being an invaluable help to Eddie Marlin, to Jerry Jarrett, to uh, Buddy Wayne, to everybody that's been connected with wrestling, Mr. Coffee on down. And Randy did it. Because he's loved professional wrestling. I mean, he's not only been a fan, but ever since he's been involved, he's loved it from the bottom of his heart. And everything that Randy has tried to do around wrestling has been positive. Everything that Randy has done has been involved hard work. I'm, I'm sure that Randy, you know, would in the in the back of his mind or somewhere would have, would have loved to have at one time been a professional wrestler. But as uh, you know, he just didn't have the size, he didn't have the stature. But he has dedicated himself and all his efforts throughout his entire career to doing everything that he can to help professional wrestling. And he has been a positive addition to the USWA. He has been the hardest worker that I have ever seen, and you know this, and Lance knows it, and Eddie Marlin knows it. Everybody connected knows that there's nobody better for the United States Wrestling Association than this man right over here. And to see somebody, like he said, like Scott Bowden, who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and hadn't stirred since come along and run his mouth and make statements about Randy Hales and then to go even further and to involve himself in a match and and hit Randy with a belt and then have Tommy Rich come in and do the same thing. Well, I'm going to tell you this. He didn't have to ask me to step in. He didn't ask me to come out there to the ring last Monday night. I did that on my own. I involved myself on my own because you see Scott Bowden, he hates you, all of these fans hate you, and I especially hate you because I throughout my entire career, have at one time or other run into jerks like Scott Bowden. I call them, and I've said it many times, they're like leeches, Dave. There are people who, who realize when they look in the mirror, Scott Bowden, when he looks in a mirror, he has to realize that he is a skinny puke, a no-good rotten punk who couldn't whip his way out of a wet paper bag. So what he does, like a leech, he attaches himself on to somebody like Tommy Rich and on to somebody like Doug Gilbert. Somebody that can do his fighting for him. And all he does is sit in the back and he takes in a little money and he gets to come out here on television and he gets to run his big mouth about how big and how tough his guys are. Well, Scott Bowden, this week, you're going to have to put your mouth where your money is. You're going to have to see if you can back up some of those claims you've been making because this week you're in the ring with not only Randy Hales, but you're in the ring with the king. And that's someplace that you have never been in your life. And I know that Randy Hales wants you real bad. But Randy, all I want you to promise me is that you will just save me one good shot on that skinny weasel from Germantown, and I'm going to show you too. He's going to show you what a hick from Jonesboro does to somebody from Germantown, and I'm going to show you what the king does to a spoiled, rich brat. So be there Monday night, and I don't care how much Tommy Rich tries to protect you, he ain't going to be able to do it all night long, is he? Not
11: at all. We're looking forward to it Monday night. We'll be right in Scott Bowden's face all night long.
0: So, uh, as you might imagine, I lost that match, and I received several stiff lashes with a belt. So you'd think I would have probably learned my lesson and run back to German down and maybe stayed out of the wrestling business or at least stayed out of the ring with members of the same sex. But it wasn't long before I go off and piss off the retired French Angel, referee Frank Morrell. Out of bucks!
7: Comes off and nails Tommy Ridge with it! Scott Mountain just hit referee Frank Morrell! Oh boy! Morrell is out!
8: Boy, you get old Frank stirred up, buddy. And like you said, this guy, one of the roughest wrestlers there was. Let's take a listen to see what Frank has to say about that situation.
7: Okay, yeah, I'm standing in the uh, back dressing room area now, referee Frank Morrell. And Frank, this makes it now twice that you've been involved uh, in the matches, other than refereeing, twice now in, in four weeks you've been involved.
10: Yeah, that's right. That's, that's two times I've been involved. I don't know what goes through these boys' minds. I mean, ever. I will try to referee it the best I can, and then what they want to do, they want to start beating on me. Yep. Well, that's, that's the reason I'm asking Eddie Marlin just give me one shot at that Scott and Bowden. I'd like to get him in the so, ring just so one time. Yeah. So you want to match with Scott Bowden? Definitely, I want to match with Scott Bowden. I'm going to okay. do to him what his mother should have done to him a few years ago when he wasn't even old enough to go to his bathroom to himself. I'm going to give him the spanking of his life, and when it's over, boy, you're going to know what's rusting about because you're looking at that guy right here. I'm I've took bigger pills than you. I've walked me in the streets than you. I've done it all, so I'm going to show you what wrestling's about. You get in the ring with a broken-down referee, you want to call me, and I'll show you what that referee will do to you, boy.
8: Frank, he's fired up, and i got to tell you, that does not bode well for Bowden. He was out here earlier complaining. What am I doing in the ring? What am I doing in the ring today? The reason is you want to put yourself in the ring just like we saw on the tape.
9: That's fine. Hey, you made a comment earlier about me not being happy about this match. You're right. I'm not happy. I'm ecstatic, baby, because if I was to make a list of the things I hate in this world, your suit Dave's commentary would definitely be in the top five. But at the top of the list, at the top of the list would be old people. Or if you want to be politically correct, senior citizens because you see senior citizens think that just because they're old and about to die that they're entitled to some kind of respect why i hate old people especially frank Morrell, the uncle fester of professional wrestling as i like to call him and let me tell you something last week after he got through sucker punching me he said scott bowden scott bowden when you were in diapers i was kicking people's booties you know which is kind of ironic now Frank is so old, he's back in diapers. He can't even control when he goes to the bathroom. As I understand it, Tommy, all Frank wants for Christmas is enough huggies to last him until the end of his life. Let me tell you something, old man. You're only going to need enough to last you till Monday night, baby, because the end of your long life is coming to an end, baby. I promise you that. Every time Frank goes out to referee a match, People are laying bets whether or not he's going to have a heart attack before he reaches the ring. Yeah, you keep running. you one after I get through with you, old man. You keep running your mouth like you that
8: know, about Frank. You don't you have, to have to worry about land. being I a senior.
7: I'm, I'm trying to talk. talk. You
2: know what it amounts to? Frank Morrell, if he wanted somebody, Scott Baum never had a Fools in matches to begin with. Now, Frank Morrell wanted somebody.
10: If he wanted somebody, he should have wrestled Doug Gilbert and myself.
0: Man, after hearing that promo from Frank, I swear... <laughs> Because we were already that that Monday night after we did the whole schmoz deal and Frank got a punch at me and we were talking about setting up a match between us. Lawler and I were like kind of going back and forth with some insults we could say about how old Frank was. And I could see Frank like kind of he was burning a hole through me, you know, like, who's this punk kid? You know, I paid my fucking dues in this wrestling business and here he is making fun of me in front of the locker room. And so and then I look up and Frank's gone and Lawler looked at me like, uh oh. And, uh, you know, it could have been a big rib. I don't know. But then I saw this promo from this fired up old man, and I thought, he's going to go out there and kick my ass. But uh, he, of course, he was a total pro. We had a couple of matches at the Coliseum, and we managed not to completely stink up the joint. The only problem I had was much like Andy Coffin taking his first back suplex. I had Frank in a headlock, and he when he brings you back... It my head is not what knocks me goofy. I don't hit the canvas too hard with the back of my head. I land pretty flat, but I forgot about my knees. And my knees came smashing down against my nose and my face. <laughs> and it just completely busted my mouth open. So uh Frank did get his revenge. So uh after that I decided, okay, I'm not gonna wrestle anymore, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to wrestling chicks, like my role model, Andy Kaufman from Hollywood. And uh, I get into a feud with Miss Texas a future WWE Hall of Famer known as Miss Jacqueline. You know, and I have to say, if you'll listen to this, I I was a true gentleman. You know, I didn't want to come out there to fight her. If she had only joined my generous, lucrative offer to use my daddy's vast array of high profile. (laughs) I I can't even say it with a straight face. High profile credit cards. Uh, You know, all we could have lived together in harmony, but it didn't quite go that way serious in that a big uh, ladies tournament uh, they're talking about having in the uswa
8: miss texas
4: yeah i know i heard about that but you know what i used to be the uswa ladies champion before i got hurt but as you can see i'm back and better yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
4: now i wrestled all around the world and competed i competed against against men and women And I beat them all. Now, I will be in that tournament. And when that tournament is over with, I hope to be the USWA Lady Champion.
8: Well, I think there's a lot of folks that are right behind you, obviously. They would
9: love to see that. And, oh, Scott, for crying out Don't you ever get enough? Nope, nope, nope. These people can't get enough of me. Yeah, sure. Miss Texas, you know, unlike Dave Brown's weather predictions i'm rarely wrong but last week i have to admit i was wrong i shouldn't have come out here and started anything with you because hey let me tell you you can handle yourself against any man here in the uswa you've proven that to me and i know hey you're talking about women women's championships baby i could guide you to the men's championship you are one tough lady hey i'll be the first to admit it hey i love women i love women lance russell i don't have anything against women Hey, and I just want to extend the offer to you right now. Join me. Join me. Hey, you look back in history. Behind every successful man in history, there's been a woman. There's been a woman. Miss Texas, I want you to be my woman. I want you to be my woman in my stable. We can go to the top, baby. I'm talking the top. Now, what's it going to take? Huh? Is it going to take a little bit of money? Is it going to take a little bit of money? Because you know I'm from Germantown, and I got that, baby. I I got my daddy's Goldsmiths card right here. I got my daddy's Circuit City card. I got his bank card. Whatever you want, baby. Whatever you want. You make it.
4: Scott, I don't want any part of your organization. I don't need you to come out here and offer me money, credit card. Put it back in your pocket, okay? Put it back in your pocket.
9: Ms. Texas, now, wait a minute. Evidently, you don't understand what I'm offering you, you money. You heard what she said. Hey, I've never had a woman turn me down for a proposition personally or professionally. You understand ah, what right. I'm saying? Hey, take the money, baby. Take the
5: money. Take the money. Take the money. Take the money, baby. I don't even like baby, you. don't even like you. Baby, we don't have to like each other. I'm talking about winning titles and money, baby. We don't have to like each other. I'm talking about money,
9: baby. Come on, this Scott. This is more money probably you've ever seen in your life. Come on, baby. She made take it clear exactly what money. she
8: feels about it. There's your money. You... Hey, you're not going to embarrass me in front of these people. You're not going to front
7: of these
4: people,
7: you understand me? Well, there goes Scott Bowden down on the floor. And Miss Texas jumps right
8: on him. I'll tell you, she won't back up from any of them. Bowden shakes her off, and here comes referee Kevin Christian. Yeah, please get that idiot out of here. Thank you, Eddie. Pull that son of a gun out of here. He comes out here waving money around jumping on miss texas and she wasn't about to back up from any of it your circuit city
0: card really yeah hey man that thing had like a 700 hundred dollar limit i think <laughs> i think I bought my first playstation with that thing uh besides hey have you ever pinned a wwe hall of famer <laughs> no i have not uh, no. yeah yeah that's what i thought i uh i won a victory over jackland in uh in louisville kentucky and uh, don't listen to Travis Eckle. He, he claims my feet were on the ropes for added leverage. But, uh, but anyway, it was around this time that I gave my notice after feuding a few weeks with Miss Texas. I was living with my girlfriend who lived in Midtown Memphis, and that was just around the corner from WMC TV station. And she rarely if ever even watched the show. But one morning when I said to Jackie, if you think I'm going to hesitate to hit a woman, you just ask my girlfriend, because I slap her around all the time and I'll do the same to you. That did not go over too well with her mother. who coincidentally did live in germantown and was watching live and she called christy saying i hope you realize the entire city of memphis just heard your boyfriend say that he beat you on a regular basis and christy responded no 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 no, mom mom that's just a character he's playing and her mom shot back yeah it's a character named scott bowden So uh as the lines of fantasy and reality started to blur in my hometown and my rich daddy started to receive phone calls uh, as he was finishing up his final year as a lieutenant with the Memphis Fire Department. I it started to get a little uncomfortable. So I figured I needed to take a break for a while. But as I told Jerry Lawler in that very first promo, you haven't heard the last of me. And I have to say, if you've never uttered those words to somebody in defiance it's it's actually pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) i mean you, you you hear it like cartoons and movies all the time you haven't heard the last of me
1: uh it's actually a pretty good feeling well we will definitely have to return to your glory days as one of the most hated men in your hometown on a future episode when you would join forces with an unlikely ally a heel jerry lawler
0: yeah. And, you know, as a guy who started watching wrestling when he was when the king was managed by Mickey Pool, I even <laughs> I even mentioned Mickey Poole. I said, I don't know if I could feel Mickey Poole's shoes. He could see Lawler about to lose it. <laughs> I don't think he was expecting that line, but that was definitely a Christmas wish come true to manage the king. Uh, but once again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think that about uh, wraps up another show there, Brian. You can follow me on Twitter, at Trav Scott Bowden, as well as on Facebook, at Kentucky Fried Rasslin, R-A-S-S-L-I-N. Of course, you can download each and every episode at kfrpod.com, or you can subscribe via iTunes or Podcast Addict. Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Brian Lass, this is Scott Bowden from Germantown. We'll see you next week.
8: The announcers on this program are
7: selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of championship wrestling.